You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. And as, as Louis said, today is Family Sunday. So please do not fret, do not feel uncomfortable if you hear children crying or running around. It's absolutely okay. And um, don't worry, I will not be uncomfortable with that. I have four of my own. Um, question for the kids. And you're going to have to come to me before, so the microphone doesn't make a weird noise. Raise your hand if you're willing to come to the front before I ask the question. Just Caleb, Sophia, there you go. All right, here we go. We'll see who, I'll choose one. If, this is the question, if you had to destroy a city, if you had to destroy a city, what weapons would you use to destroy that city? Raise your hand. All right, Caleb, what? A giant monster. Sophia. Dragons and guns. All right. A bomb. Armies and men. <laughs> Adults too. Yeah, go ahead. A cookie monster. Anyone has a better idea? What was that? Kindness. Ooh, kill him with kindness. That's interesting. Anyone else? Any adults? Oh, okay. Awesome. Well, well, today we're gonna we're gonna have a story that in, uh, actually sees uh, how a city is destroyed. So, Israel, the, the the people of God, are in a very long journey. One of their leaders died. His name was Moses, and they have a new leader. His name was Joshua. And God's people are about to arrive uh, at their new home or their promised land. And, but they need to destroy a city that's on their way and knock down some really tall walls. So let's see how they do it. So I'm going to read and you're going to see some, uh, some things on the screen. Here we go. The warrior leader. A story from Joshua and the battle of Jericho from Joshua 3 and 6. After Moses died, God gave his people a new leader. His name was Joshua, which means the Lord saves. Joshua was going to lead God's people into the special land God had promised to give them. By this time, God's people had been wandering around in that baking desert for 40 years. So you can imagine how sick they were of sand and anything yellow and tents and walking and being hot. And how happy they were to reach the edge of the desert and to their beautiful new home right there in front of them. All cool and green and lovely. But there was one problem. Jericho. Jericho was a big city. But it wasn't just any old city. It was a fortress and it stopped anyone from getting into the land. The people looked at Jericho at the big, giant, scary walls around it, 
at the tall towering ramparts, at the heavy iron gates bolted shut, they looked at each other, and what would they do? No one knew, but God knew. And God told Joshua what to do. But Joshua must have looked surprised because it was a very odd battle plan indeed, as we'll soon find out. Then God made his people a promise. I will always be with you, and I will never, ever leave you. If you do what I say, your lives in the new land will be happy, and everything will go well. So Joshua gathered his army together. They had their swords and spears and shields, and they were ready to fight. But the plan wasn't about fighting. It was about trusting and doing what God said. Joshua's army went marching and marching and marching again around the city, day after day after day. They're too scared to fight, the people of Jericho said. But they were wrong. God's people were not scared. They were waiting, waiting for God to tell them what to do next. And after seven days of marching, on the seventh day, God told his people to march around the city not once, but seven times. Then God told everyone to do as much noise as they could. Has anyone ever told you to make as much noise as you can possibly or as you possibly can? Well, Imagine that noise and add 39,999 other people making that same noise too. And as you, you get the idea, it's ear splitting. All right. Who wants to give it a try? All right. Let's see how the kids, only the kids first. Let's, this is a competition between the kids and the adults. So, kids, you have to scream, and I give you permission to scream as loud as you can. All right, adults, if you need to cover your ears, please go ahead and cover your ears. But the kids are about to, to shout as hard as you can. This is the one time your parents will not tell you anything, all right? But you have to do it really, really loud. Are you in? All right, let's see who wins. After you, the adults are going to do it, and if they win... You're going to feel sad. All right, here we go. I'm going to count to three, and the kids are going to yell as loud as you can. Ready? One, two, three. All right. Oh, wow, that was, that was good. Okay. All right, now the adults. Kids, if you have a chance, cover your ears. Now, the adults. Adults are usually more reluctant to do these things, and that's why we're going to do it. So, here we go. Adults, are you ready to beat the kids? Three, two, one, go. What, 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 do, you, what do you say, kids? Who won? All right. One more time to kids. Show them, kids. Ready, set, go. 
<laughs> All right, enough. Well, that's the noise that the people of God did. And guess what happened? The huge walls of Jericho crumbled to the ground as if they were made of sand. Jericho vanished in a great cloud of dust. So it was that God's people entered their new home. And guess what? They didn't have to fight to get in. They only had to walk and make noise. Joshua said, God has brought us safely here. Now will you do what he says? And everyone said, we promise. Only God can make your heart happy, Joshua said. So stop praying to pretend gods. No, they said, never. I'm afraid they didn't keep their promise. They didn't do what God said. And many years later, just as God warned them, things would go badly for God's people again. They would lose their home. Enemies would capture them and take them off as slaves. And God's people would scatter into many different lands. But God's plan was still working. One day, he would give his people another leader and another home. But this time, this home, no one could ever take from them. So what can we learn from this amazing story? Quickly, for all of us, just like the Israelites, we all long for a home. The Israelites spent 40 years in the desert complaining and going around in circles, and they saw the presence of God, but still they didn't understand what God was doing. And up to a certain point, that's something that we all understand because we all want a, p a place where we can feel peace, joy, some freedom. You know, your house is, is a place where you can do whatever you want. You're, when, you, when you have a, a hard day, you usually think, oh, I just want to get home and probably take my shoes off and just put my feet up on the couch and maybe watch a movie or drink a cold uh, a glass of something. And you, home is, is, is a place that provides all these things. They didn't have this. And we all want a home. My family is homeless at the moment, and it's not fun to not have a place to do some sort of security and some sort of safety or peace, they don't give you all that you need. They fail, they break down, they, they need repairs, uh, they cost a lot of money, and it's just hard. And sometimes we seek for a land, and the land that we have 
also doesn't give us what we want. If you were born in America, maybe this is your land, and you think it's going to give you what you want, but it doesn't. It's going to let you down. I wasn't born here, so sometimes I look back at my country, and I'm like, oh, I wish I could go back to my country. And then the other day, I went to my country, and I realized this is not going to give me what I want. So no matter where you are, if you were born here, if you were born somewhere else, if you have a house, if you don't have a house, Everything that we have is not going to provide our security, our peace, our safety, everything that we want. We all constantly long for a home, just like the Israelites. And just like the Israelites, God promised us a perfect home, even though we don't deserve it. Israel was a very bad-behaved people. And we are too. And God promised them a promised land or promised them a land, a a home. And God does the same with us. Let me read a verse for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1 says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We have a better place that God has promised for us. The, 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 the land that Israel was promised was not perfect and it was temporary, but ours is completely perfect and eternal. And God promised us a home that is even better than the Garden of Eden. Let me read a description of this, of this new place, of this new house, this land that God has promised us. And we find it in Revelation 21. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. And listen to this. Imagine a place, a land, a home like this one. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is the kind of home that God is preparing for us. But we have a problem. Just like the Israelites, there is a huge obstacle between us and our home. And it's not a city. It's not something we can destroy. It's a big obstacle called sin. Sin is something that's huge and bigger than a wall. And this wall called sin separates us not only from our promised home, but from God himself. And sin is stronger than any city or any wall because it's not outside of us, it's inside of us. And it kills us, and we like it. We don't usually see it as an enemy sometimes. And it doesn't only kill you physically, it also kills you spiritually. And sin is something that is impossible to fight for us on our own. For the adults and even the kids, 
if you think about it, we've all tried to overcome our sins. In my case, for almost 40 years. I don't know how many years is in your case. But we have all constantly tried and daily failed to win the battle against our sin. Some of us know sin or have problems with sins like lying or stealing or cheating or disobeying or being lazy or being proud or being envious or gossiping and so many different things. These are our longtime enemies that we have not been able to defeat. Maybe we, we won a couple of battles, but the reality is that that sin, that monster that lives inside of us, continues to come back and get us a lot of times. And this monster, this wall, this huge enemy that we have called sin, actually makes us his slave. Jesus said it in John 8. 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So according to Jesus, this is not a fight that we can win on our own. This is something that we can only do with someone else's help. And just like the Israelites, God provided a warrior leader for us. But his name is no longer Joshua. Now it's Jesus, which basically means the same thing. God gave us a warrior leader that was going to do the whole work for us. And in Jesus, we have a better warrior leader, a more powerful warrior leader than Joshua. Jesus defeated our horrible and powerful enemy sin. Jesus destroyed the stronghold of sin that is deep inside of us. Think of this. Jesus, Joshua's victory was temporary, but Jesus' victory is forever. Jesus, Joshua's victory was for Israel only, but Jesus' victory is for all people from every tribe, from every tongue, and every nation. Joshua eventually died and left his people, but Jesus died and rose again, and he will be with us today and forever. Jesus is our better warrior leader who defeats our worst enemy. And if we continue reading John chapter 8, the whole text says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The next verse says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus made us free. Jesus defeated our slave master. Jesus gave us the promised land. Jesus is the one who does it for us. And how he does it, he doesn't do it in the way we think we should do it. Jesus doesn't fight necessarily with our help, and he doesn't even ask us to fight. He does it for us in the most unorthodox way that we can imagine. He lives a perfect life, 
in our place. He dies a cruel death in our place. And he goes to the cross and sheds his blood for us in our place by grace. And what is it that we're doing to earn this? Nothing. Who is doing all the work? Jesus. And God once again defeats our enemy and wins the battle in a way that we cannot take any credit for. That is the gospel. God has always acted in this way. He always acts in a way that will erase our capacity to say that we did it and takes the whole glory to God. And that's what God did in the gospel, in Jesus, in the work of the cross. And this slave master stops being our slave, and now Jesus comes and makes us his. Just like the Israelites, we get our promised land, our promised home, through our warrior leader, Jesus Christ. Kids, what do you need to do to get to heaven? Who wants to answer that question? Luciana, believe in God, yes. Is there anything else you need to do? Wait, uh, uh, it was her turn. Do what God commands you. Uh, Caleb, you were going to say something? Follow God's image. Okay. Sophia? Trust in the Lord. Say. Yes, exactly. You know what? We don't need to do anything. Well, let me, let me ask you guys this. Do you need to behave well to get to heaven? Yes or no? Yes? No? Can you behave well enough so that you can go to heaven, and then one day when you're in front of Jesus, he will say, all right, kids, let me see. You disobey your parents too much, you're going to hell. Is that how it's going to work? No. Guess what? When you get in front of God, there's going to be a throne, and God is going to be a judge, and you're going to be standing in front of him, and God is going to say, you did a lot of bad things. You disobeyed your parents too many times you ate a lot of candy that you were not supposed to eat, especially during um, holidays. And then Jesus is going to raise a hand and going to say, I paid for that. Let him in. And then God is going to look at Jesus and God is going to say, wow, you're perfect. You never sinned. You are absolutely blameless. And God is going to open the door and let all of us, if you trusted in Jesus, go inside because of what Jesus did, not because of what you did or what I did. That is what the gospel is. It's good news that through Jesus, we have a new warrior leader that allows us to get into the promised land without us doing any work. So, this is not a home we have to earn through morality or hard work. This is a promised land that Jesus earned for us through his perfect morality and his perfect work on the cross. We don't have to fight for this home. We don't have to earn this home on our own. Jesus did it for us by grace, through faith, and we now have 
an inheritance. And this is open and available to anyone. Jesus dies for us, pays for our sins, and conquers sin and death so that we can go into eternal life by grace. If you're not a believer, I would like to extend this invitation to you. The invitation is that Jesus' is, Jesus's arms are open wide for you. And he is not expecting you to clean your life or get your act together before he accepts you. He wants you to come to him and he will help you get cleaned. And we behave well because of what Jesus has done in us. We don't behave well so that Jesus can do things for us. Our confidence is in Jesus. And if you don't know this Jesus, and if you're not sure of where you're going to spend eternity, today is a good day to repent and follow God and receive this amazing God, this grace of God that can take you to home forever, to your home forever. And if you're a believer, I just want to reassure you, just like the author of Hebrews says, that we have a confidence to enter into the holy places because of the blood of Jesus. If you're a believer, I just want to remind you, you already have a promised land. You already have a place that you're going to spend eternity in. Look forward to it and live your life in light of that. And I want to invite all of us that unlike the Israelites, let's respond in worship and obedience to God. Let's not forget what God has done for us. Let's not react like the Israelites. Let's respond to Jesus in gratitude and worship. Let's, let's respond in obedience to his commandments joyfully because of what he's done, not so that he can do that. Let's respond to his grace in total surrender to him as our Lord and Savior. And let's also respond tangibly by remembering his sacrifice on the cross by taking communion together. So I'm going to ask you to stand up and we're going to take communion together. And this is precisely that. This is what we do every Sunday in response to the gospel. We celebrate communion as a church family, as a way for us to remember what Jesus has done for us through his death and resurrection. And that we are here together because his body was broken and his blood was spilled for us. So if you're a follower of Christ, I would like to invite you to come, grab a piece of bread and a cup, and celebrate communion by remembering what Jesus has done for us. But if you're not a believer, I would like to ask you to abstain from participating because this is a public proclamation of your faith in Christ. But instead, take the time to evaluate and think of what was said and maybe invite Jesus into your heart today. We remember that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and he had, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You can come forward and let's continue worshiping together.